<laughs> well, welcome to Celebration Church. You can be seated this morning if you can. <laughs> oh, thank you, Lord. <laughs> oh, he's coming. <laughs> he's coming back for me. I don't, I don't know about you, but he's coming back for me. <laughs> Uh, he's coming back for me. I'm, I'm a little excited about that this morning. <laughs> I don't know about you, but when, when life starts rocking and rolling and reeling like it is, and you have planes going down and sickness and mutating viruses and all these wonderful things, look up for my redemption's drawing nigh. Jesus said you're going to hear the wars and the rumors of wars and pestilence and famine. It doesn't matter. Look up. <laughs> you're, you're looking at the wrong thing this morning. If you're, if you're focused on all the troubles and trials of life, you're looking at the wrong thing this morning. Jesus said, look up. We don't look to the things that are seen, Paul said, but we look to the things that are unseen. We look to see what Jesus is doing. He's praying. and inter- What is Jesus doing right now? He's sitting at the right hand of the Father, interceding, praying for you and I. The Bible says in Acts, Peter said that this same Holy Spirit that you see and hear right here, this is him, the Jesus that you crucified, who God raised from the dead. He's seated at the right hand of God. He's pouring out this which you now see and hear. And so this morning, if celebration's a little wild for you, this is this is this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. God says that in the last days. God says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy. And your old men, he didn't leave out the old men and the old women either. He said, on them, yep, I'll pour out my spirit on them too. <laughs> uh, this, it's a good day to be in church this morning. <laughs> I'm happy this morning. I'm happy to be in church. I'm happy. I'm happy to be in the presence of God this morning. <laughs> I... Uh, Thank you, Lord. <laughs> oh, Jesus, I love his presence. There's no place, there is no place that I'd rather be. There's nothing else that I'd rather be doing with my life. There's nothing else that I'd rather do. If, if I, I, I can sense when David said, God, don't, don't take, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. God, whatever you do, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. I, I said, man, I, I can echo those things. Oh God, I, you you can you can have it all. You can have you can have it. You can strip me down to the clothes of my back. But God, don't take. Oh God, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. If I don't have your Spirit, God, if I don't have. The Holy Spirit of my life, there's nothing that separates me. There's nothing that makes me any different than the, the, the heathen in this world. There's nothing else that makes me any different, any, any more different. I'm just the average person on my way to hell. I need, I need your Holy Spirit. Oh God, I need the Holy Spirit. I need, and I don't, I don't, I want more than just the seal of salvation. I want the fullness. I, I have to have the immersion into this person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit. I need the fullness. I need the fullness. God, don't take your Holy Spirit from us, from our church. Don't lift. Lord, let it not be said. Ichabod over our church, the glory's departed. Lord, we want we want to be a people full of the glory of God. We want to be be a church full of the Spirit of God. Oh God, we need this generation needs fresh outpouring of Pentecostal power. This generation needs a fresh outpouring. You know, this this generation has has captivated themselves with supernatural. You turn the TV on, you look, you look around. Uh, just everywhere you go, there's supernatural elements. They've captivated themselves with the supernatural. And I have to think that part of that is because we've removed the supernatural from the church. The place, the place where they ought to encounter supernatural, they can't. There's nothing there. It's, there is nothing. There is no supernatural. I was talking with a pastor not long ago, and they, they said, well, we don't believe. And it's a spirit-filled church, supposedly. Assembly of God Church. We don't believe in praying in tongues in church. That shouldn't happen. <laughs> and I said, well, when does it happen? 
<laughs> if it doesn't happen in church, I guarantee you aren't doing it at home. <laughs> I mean, if church is supposed to be the place to encounter God together, I know that you're not. You know, you, and we've, had, we've had testimonies of that since we've been here. That in theory, we you know, believe something, but have never practiced. And so I, this conversation continued, and they said, well, we can, and I'll, and I'll move on here in a moment, but I feel such an urgency about this this morning. And they said, they continued to go on and they said, well, you know, the only time that there's ever praying in tongues in our church, it's not, shouldn't happen during the worship, shouldn't happen during the preaching. You know, the only time that it happens is if someone gets baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I said, well, how do you, how do you determine whether somebody's getting baptized in the Holy Spirit or they're praying in their prayer lane? I mean, how do you know the difference? Who polices this? Who walks around and is the tongues police in your church? And we come, we come up with all these, we get so lost in mechanics. We get so lost in the mechanics that we forget the person. We forget the person. I don't think Paul, when he wrote... And please understand what I'm saying. I, 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 don't, I'm not, I don't want to ever abuse the gifts and the person of the Holy Spirit. I don't ever want to grieve the Holy Spirit. But I don't think Paul was as much captivated on mechanics as he was understanding the person. When he wrote in Corinthians about the gifts of the Spirit and the, and the prayer language and then the gift of tongues and interpretation, all these spiritual gifts, it was about understanding the person it was about understanding his ministry through us, not the mechanics and setting rules and rank. I don't think Paul ever intended for us to create our Pentecostal rule checklist to determine whether or not someone's got the real thing or not because they've got to follow our checklist. I don't ever see God doing you got to follow a checklist. The minute you think God one plus one equals two with God, he'll come in and mess it all up. So I say all this, there is, I have an urgency in my spirit this year, 2015, for what our vision statement, our vision statement this year is Acts 1-8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That, that's our vision for our church, that's, that's where we're headed, that's who we are. And I feel such an urgency. Uh, matter of fact, this morning I was gonna I was gonna preach on our on our five values of our church and, and lay out for you the values of our church and how this ties into Pentecostal Christianity. <clears throat> but I feel this morning such an urgency for us as a church to be a people that are spirit empowered we've tried and tried and tried in our own strength and sometimes it produces good things but not lasting fruit but when you begin to yield to the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in your life he produces the fruit you yield and say God I'm just a vessel use me lead me you know, leading, saying I'm led by the Spirit means that you have to follow. <laughs> you can't just say, oh, I'm going to be Spirit-led. We're going to be a Spirit-led church and not follow. Sometimes the Holy Spirit begins to lead us in places that are a little uncomfortable. We'll talk about that in a moment. But sometimes the Holy Spirit begins to lead, lead us in places that He begins to deal with the, the crevices of our heart that maybe we don't want God to go and deal with. <laughs> wants to transform our lives and cause us to yield more to Him and produce a God kind of fruit, lasting fruit. People say, well, this Pentecostal power thing makes me uncomfortable. It ought to. It ought to. Praying in tongues makes me a little uncomfortable. It ought to. You know, people say, well, I don't, I don't, fully understand this. I don't, I don't get the praying in tongues and why do, why do we have to get so exerted, you know, all these things. And my, my response often is, do you believe that Jesus was born of a virgin, died on a cross, his blood can save you, 
He ascended into heaven, performed miracles, signs, and wonders, and is coming back again someday. You can believe all of that. You can believe all of that, but you can't believe that he baptizes people in the Holy Spirit and praying in tongues. You can believe all of these other supernatural things, but you can't believe that. Usually it has to deal with a four-letter word. It's not really four letters, but to most Christians it's four letters. Control. Salvation, we can come and keep it neat and, and, and come to the front and... You know, it looks neat. It's not quite so. But when you start praying in tongues, that baffles people's minds. It should. Pentecostal power. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That power is available to everyone in this room. Catherine Kuhlman used to say, and I think it's so true, Catherine Kuhlman used to say that I believe there's coming a day where everybody in a meeting will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. There will be in a meeting and everybody that's there who's hungry will receive. I believe that's true. I believe that's true, that there is coming a day where we're going to see supernatural things begin to take place. In Matthew chapter 10, In Matthew chapter 10, we're going to go through this morning. I want to take a look at the values of our church. In Matthew chapter 10, we're going to start with our first value. But understanding what values are, what our values, what does it mean to understand our values? Our values are like guideposts for our church and for our lives. They become the moorings. You know, so many people have lost the moorings and the foundations of what they believe and the direction that they're headed in life. They, they get caught off by life's uh, circumstances and truth in, in our culture has become relevant to whatever you feel is necessary for your life. Whatever works for you, whatever is good for you, truth has become relevant. And we don't have these solid core moorings and, and directional uh, markers for our lives. And so these values become that. It's like... Um, you know, when I was a kid, I remember to this day when I first learned how to ride a bike. How many of you have kids that, that you've taught how to ride bikes before? And you put the, you put the uh, training wheels, thank you, you put the training wheels on the back tire and they, you know, it balances them and gives them stability and they ride. And, and that's kind of what values become for us. It, it becomes those, the, the stability and the direction and the guidance for our church. And so in Matthew chapter 10, we find this first value that I want to highlight. Matthew chapter 10, verse 7 and 8 says, And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. How many of you this morning have received some sort of supernatural life from heaven into your soul this morning? How many of you have ever been healed by God this morning or received salvation from God or seen God work in your family? Freely you have received, freely give. This wasn't, this wasn't just an optional statement uh, by Jesus. There wasn't a question as to whether or not they were going to go. Jesus said, when you go, not if you go. And so the statement to you and I today is, when you go, not if you go, if you go. If you've received from heaven this morning, there is something supernatural on the inside of you. The dunamis power of God is resident on the inside of you this morning that you can go and begin to do what Jesus said here to do. He said, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. When's the last time that God has worked those miracles through your life? When's the last time that you've seen God work supernaturally through your life? The Bible says, we said earlier, Acts 1.8, you shall receive power. There is dunamis power available to each of us. That in Acts chapter 2, they receive, in Acts chapter 2, they receive the power of the Holy Spirit. They receive the, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to be. Being witness, Jesus uh, said that you will be witness. He didn't say that you have to strive or make effort to do this. It's a natural part of experiencing something supernatural. You shall be a witness. 
When you experience something, a witness is someone who gets on the stand and testifies about what they've experienced. They can offer proof or testimony according to something that's happened. If you have experienced the presence, the touch of God, the love of God, the salvation of God, whatever it is in your life, you have something to share with someone else. You may feel like, man, I don't know what to say. I don't know how to answer. I don't know how to respond. Jesus said, there's coming a day where you're going to stand before the magistrates, the kings. You're not, they're going to question you, and you're not going to know in your natural mind what you ought to say. But don't worry about it. The Spirit of God is going to give you the words to say. So when you begin to trust Him, when you begin to walk the Spirit-filled life, you begin to share this supernatural power. Uh, Peter and John were on their way. They had received this supernatural power and they were on their way to the temple in prayer. Uh, in Acts chapter 3, they're on their way to the temple. And Peter and John on their way. Here's this lame man sitting by the gate of the temple. Jesus had probably passed him. A lot of people have passed this man. He's not able to walk. And Peter and John, he begs them for silver and gold. And Peter and John said, Hang on a second, buddy. We don't have any money to give you. We're apostles. We're preachers. We don't have any money. We're so sorry. But what we do have, we will give you. And they take him by the right hand and said, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And he took their hand and he got up and walked. And the Bible says that this lame man went leaping and praising God into the temple. That was probably a new phenomenon for them. That was probably something shocking for them. They hadn't seen the lame man walk. They hadn't seen anybody probably leap in church and jump in church. Why do we jump in church? Because we're excited about God. The supernatural power of God has touched us and changed us. Why do we get excited? That's why this lame man had experienced the presence of God, the touch of God in his life. And he goes leaping and rejoicing into the temple, thanking God. And they were all amazed. And so that is this supernatural power of God that's available to you and I. God wants each of us to be supernatural witnesses. The value, the statement that we use for this value is the message. And the statement for that is reaching our community and the world with the message of Christ. Our message of Christ never changes. The hope of Christ, the life of Christ, the healing that he provides never changes. Our message never changes. The way it looks and the methods and things may, may tweak and change through the years, but our message never does. We have the new backdrops and new music and different ways of doing things and all of these things. And Well, I don't like how that song was sung, and I'm not sure I like those colored lights on the wall. And I'm, Listen, methods may change, but our message never does. We may, we may begin to see, I hope to God that these pews are full of people who are hurting, Amen. who are broken. Amen. And maybe, maybe you are here this morning and you're just like me. You have issues in your life that you need the supernatural touch of God, the power of God to work out in your... I don't know about you, but I have issues. I need God at work in my life. I'm preaching to myself this morning. This message of the cross, this message of Jesus came to save. This message, John the Baptist said that Jesus came twofold that to save the lost that behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and he's the baptizer and the Holy Spirit there's one coming after me whose sandals I'm he shall baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire the twofold ministry of Jesus we are witnesses of this ministry of Jesus I hope you're a witness this morning. I hope that you've received the supernatural power of heaven in your life. Albert Barnes says this about Acts 1.8. He says, literally, as it is translated in the margin, ye shall receive the power of the Holy Ghost coming upon you. This was said to them to console them, though they could not know the times which God reserved in his own appointment. Yet they should receive the promised guide and comforter. The word power here refers to all the help or aid which the Holy Spirit would grant. The power of speaking with new tongues, of preaching the gospel with great effect, of enduring great trials. Ye shall be witnesses. For this purpose they were appointed. And for this design they had been with him for more than three years. They had seen his manner of life, his miracles, his meekness, his sufferings. They had listened to his instruction, had conversed and eaten with him as a friend. They had seen him after he was risen and were about to see him to ascend into heaven. And they were 
qualified to bear witness to all these things in all parts of the earth. They were so numerous that it could not be pretended that they were deceived. They had been so intimate with him and his plans that they could testify of him. And there was, there was no motive but conviction of the truth that could lead them to all these sacrifices and making known the Savior. The original word here for witnesses is martyrs. From this word, the name martyrs has been given to those who suffered in times of persecution. The reason why this name was given to them was that they bore witness to the life, instructions, death, and resurrection of the Lord, even in the midst of persecution and death. You shall be martyrs. <laughs> man, that changes the tone. We get excited about, I'm going to be a witness. But man, when we realize that that word, I'm going to be a martyr, I'm going to lay it all down. You may not physically have to lay your life down. And who knows, there may be coming a time where we, we may have to face that reality. But the reality here for us is this, that whether we lay our lives physically down into death, we have to lay down our lives. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. That's the next point, that is discipleship. Our next value is discipleship, a transforming journey with Christ. It's a transforming journey with Christ. We walk this path with Jesus. We're walking in the Spirit, led by the Spirit, and allowing the Spirit of God to transform our lives. Have you allowed the Holy Spirit to put His proverbial spotlight on the dark areas of your life? Have you allowed Him to go in and say, I need you to walk a little bit closer with me in this area. I need you to come a little bit closer with me. Oh, when you know the, when you have the relationship with the Holy Spirit, when you have this, this divine relationship with the Holy Spirit, it's no longer a place of, uh, of, of concern that the Holy Spirit's going to beat you up and, and, and torture you with the issues of your life. No, it's a, it's a journey of love. It's a place of joy, a place of peace. It's knowing that, man, when the Holy Spirit convicts me and begins to deal with these areas of my life, that He's drawing me in closer, that He might do a work in my life. It's not about me transforming myself or changing myself. It's the Holy Spirit at work in my life. He's changing me. He's transforming me. I get to enjoy the presence of God, the Holy Spirit, just a little bit more in this area of my life. It's, it's the joy. Discipleship is the joy of our lives as believers. It ought to be the joy. Heather and I used to joke when we would, when we would go through a season of Seeming like the, the fire had lessened, the fire of, of, the, of the altar of God had lessened, we would joke and say, when's the next cross coming? Where's the next crucifixion day? We've, we've, the fire has lessened a little bit, but I, I'm sure that it's going to be turned up just a little bit more. And it became the joy. It was no longer just, man, we got to go through the fire again. God's purifying and purging something else in our lives. And does that mean that we're horrible people? I know. <laughs> we're not horrible, ugly people. It means we're Christians. We're on the journey of discipleship and transformation. I don't want to look the same in five years that I look today. I don't want to be in the same place five years from now that I am today. If you look the same today that you looked 20 years ago, I'm not talking physically. I'm talking, well, maybe physically, but I'm talking more about spiritually. If you look the same today that you did five or ten years ago or when you were born again, that's a problem. Our journey with Christ is ever-increasing, ever-changing. There's something more, something new, something fresh. I don't want to stay in the same place. I've changed since I've been here. I'm changing every day. There's always something. God uses all sorts of people and situations and circumstances to transform us. Paul said in Romans 12, Romans 12, chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, and do not be conformed to this world. I'm just going to pause right there. So first off, we're to offer ourselves as a sacrifice. That means... In the context of Scripture, that you are to get up on the altar and let God begin to take His knife and cut out the things that need to be cut out and set a little bit of a fire underneath you. 
That's what the sacrifice was. The sacrifice had to be slaughtered, dead, killed. You have to die to self. This is great preaching. Man, everybody loves this. Have to be dead to self and let the fire of God get lit underneath you. And that's uncomfortable. It's not always, it's not always easy when you start going through the test of life and God begins to use circumstances or situation or people and you'd rather tell that person off and in the back of your, uh, of your spirit man, the Holy Spirit's whispering in your ear, bringing up those scriptures, talking about love and love is patient, love is kind and you just want to respond to God saying, I am not love. I don't want to be love. I want to give them a piece of my mind. Now, how is that transforming? That doesn't transform you at all. If anything, it makes you a big booger. (laughs) You don't look like Christ at all. But when you say in those situations, God, I know that I'm supposed to love this person. Right now, they're really irritating me. I, I know I'm supposed to love them. I'm supposed to respond with a soft answer. I'm supposed to look like Christ to them and I really don't want to do that right now. So I'm going to say, Lord, Holy Spirit, would you help me? Holy Spirit, would you help me love them as you love them? Help me to see them as you see them. They're in my face telling me off because they have issues. They're hurting, they're broken, and they need somebody to love them. They need somebody to reach past their hurt and their circumstances and see them for who they really are. So God, help me to be that person. That's transforming. That's transforming. That's the work of the Holy Spirit to be able to do those things. In Matthew 28, Jesus came up to them in verse 18 and he spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Making disciples. We are putting ourselves on the altar. We're not conforming to this world. We're being transformed and we're discipling those around us. You may look like Lazarus just come out of the grave. You still stink. You still have grave clothes on, but you still have an opportunity to minister to somebody around you. You just came out of the grave, baby. You have something to share. You have something to give. You were dead, but now you're alive. You may, you may still need to go through discipleship yourself, but as God touched and transform your life? Absolutely. You've been made alive to Christ. You've got something to share. Maybe this doesn't interest you this morning because there's always a few in the bunch. That I, I like the idea of coming to church, but I don't like the idea of transformation. I, transformation, falling in love with discipleship is the result of salvation. When you have an encounter with Christ and he's been made alive to you, You can't help but to be transformed into his image. We behold his glory and become that glory. He changes us. We behold him in his majesty and we become like him. He begins to transform us and we begin to look like him. And if that doesn't interest you, maybe you should check and see if you're really born again. Because when you really got it, when you're really born again... You begin to change and walk this journey of discipleship. And not only yourself, but you're looking for the opportunities to bring others along with you. I love, I'll pick on Lester for a moment, and he had no idea I was going to pick on him. But Lester is easy to pick on, so we'll pick on Lester. <laughs> I, when, I, I love Lester and Vicki. They are awesome. We're, we love them. They're great leaders here at the church, and they're, they're wonderful people. And they're totally embarrassed that I'm doing this. But, because <laughs> that's who they are. They don't want the recognition. But one of the things that I love about Lester is that he is always looking for somebody to disciple. He's always looking for somebody that he can help and he encourage. The other day we were talking about a particular situation and thing that he had handled and whatnot. We were having a great conversation And he was like, I just don't know that I handled this right. And he starts telling me how he handled the situation. And I said, Lester, you did the exact same thing I would have done in that situation. 
Does it take a rocket science? Does it take somebody, and if you are a rocket science, you can do this too. But it doesn't take, it doesn't take a degree in Bible school to be able to disciple somebody. You just begin to share life with them. Lester has admittedly said, I have issues. I have problems. I'm going through life just like anybody else is. But he's looking for people to bring along with him. So Lester's a great example. I'll, I'll finish with Lester. Lester's a great example of following, finding those people to disciple. And we begin to be transformed ourselves. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23, he said, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit, soul, and body be preserved complete. God wants you and I, spirit, soul, body, to live in a place of transformation. Now, we understand our spirit man's growing. We understand that we've got to continue to grow spiritually and allow our spirit man to thrive and be fed spiritually. We understand our mind and our will and emotions have to be transformed. We understand that we can't live by our emotions when we want to be depressed and discouraged and live by our emotions. We can't do that. We have to live by the word of God, the promise of God, the truth of God's word. We can't live in a place of emotional despondency and despair. Just because the sun doesn't come out doesn't mean we can't be happy people. Amen. And then our mind. We can't allow our minds to begin to wander. We have the mind of Christ, the Bible says. We have to begin to put on and think as Jesus did. We have to fill. How do you do that? You fill your mind with the scripture. You fill your mind with the word of God. And then uh, our will, our desires. I always, you know, this is always an interesting topic, our desires. People say, well, I want, I want a new car, and I wanted this, and I wanted that, and that's my desire. No, your desires begin to be transformed. It's no longer about how much money you have in the bank, or the clothes you wear, or the car you drive. It's about the encounter with God, and seeing Him transform other people's lives. I don't want to get it. I'm not a public speaker. I don't like preaching. I don't like standing in front of people. I don't, like, I, don't, I don't like this kind of, this is not what I would choose to do for a profession. Not what I would choose at all. I would, I would be content being a manager or, or working in the law firm as I've done before or do whatever. I, I would find something, but this is the call of God on my life. And when he calls us and when he chooses us and transforms us, he changes our desires. Now it's the joy of my life. I wouldn't do anything but this. This is the joy of my life. My desires have been transformed. As you go on this journey with the Holy Spirit, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. He transforms and changes us and changes our mind, changes our desire, changes our will, changes our emotions, transforms us as spiritual beings. And then he begins to deal with our bodies. It just got really quiet. <laughs> now, you all know that I'm not, I'm not going to preach health and nutrition but, uh, and, and beat you up with that. <laughs> Although I will, I will insert it here. Is that will your physical body, are you taking care of your physical body and will it carry you to accomplish what God's called you to do? Yes. Everybody says, oh, God's called me to do great things. That's wonderful. Is your physical health going to allow you to do that? Are you taking care of yourself in a way that will allow you to fulfill the plans and purposes of God for your life? Just like we have to take care of ourselves emotionally, mentally, our desire, we have to take care of ourselves physically as well. Amen. <laughs> Y'all are getting quiet on me this morning when we start talking about the body. Thirdly is our community. Value three is our community. Intentional Christ-centered relationships. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, it says this. They, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. This is the result of Pentecost. This is the result of Holy Spirit empowerment in our lives. That we begin to have supernatural community. That we have this Christ-centered fellowship. This this word here is the, the koinonia, that they were fellowshipping. We talked about it earlier, that there's fellowship, there's koinonia together. 
They devoted themselves. Here in Acts 2, 42, it says they continually devoted themselves. That word devoted is the word proskatero. I've shared this before, but it's the word to be preserved in, to be made blameless. And that word preserved means to be kept from spoiling, to make, be made good for, for future use. When you, when you come in and submit yourself to the apostles' teaching, when you're in small groups and being taught, when you're in church services and Sunday school, and you're intentionally placing yourself in a position to receive teaching and instruction, you are being preserved, like going to the preserver and having salt put on you. You are being preserved, blameless, being preserved for future use. He's keeping you, as I've said before, he's keeping you from spoiling. He's keeping you from souring. When you sit under teaching and instruction, it's keeping you spiritually fit and sound, not smelling and turning sour and bitter and grumpy and angry. You're happy and joyful and rejoicing in the things of, in the things of God. It says that they not only devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, but to fellowship. Again, that word koinonia, that they were engaging in fellowship. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. These, this is what is essential for New Testament fellowship and community. That we be people full of the power of God that's working in us this supernatural grace. How many of you know that when you're in community with people, there's always someone that's going to rub you the wrong way, that's going to say the wrong thing? Maybe somebody has offended you. Maybe I've offended you. <laughs> Maybe somebody else has offended you. You and I need the grace of God to cover one another. And then this supernatural love. It's the agape love. It's the God kind of love, that we're united together, that this fellowship is a commitment between you and I and God. That you just don't bail out of a, you don't just bail out of a commitment. Church is like a marriage. You just don't bail out of a marriage just because you're not happy because your spouse said the wrong thing. At least I hope you don't do that. No, if you're in a marriage, it's a commitment. And church is a commitment. It's like a marriage. There is this supernatural God kind of love where you've been united and brought together with this fellowship. God's placed you here. You didn't choose it. God chose you and placed you here. He saw to it that you were here. He's placed you here so that you can be planted and fruitful. And then this word fellowship of the Holy Spirit, the koinonia, this partnership with the Holy Spirit. When you and I begin to live a spirit-filled, spirit-filled, full, saturated life, we no longer live in contentment with one another. We begin walking in the spirit of unity, the spirit of love, and we begin to sing. The Bible, we'll talk about this in a moment, but we begin to sing and rejoice over one another. We begin to pray for one another and encourage one another instead of gossiping and tearing each other down. No, that's not our church. <laughs> that's not our church. We're a community that's Christ-centered. No, we're not, we're not involved in cliques and dissensions and strifes. No, that's not, that's not the body of Christ. The body of Christ, the community of Christ is fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Fellowship with one another. And they prayed together. The word here in Acts 2.42 that they prayed together is the Greek word prosekumai. It means that they prayed according to something. Well, what were they praying according to? They would go and put themselves under the apostles' teaching. They lived and did life together. And so they were praying according to what they had been taught and what was happening in their lives. Lord, we come together right now and we just pray. Lord, we're hearing this morning how we need to have value, these values and these directions in our life. Help me, God, to be a good steward of our church. Show me how I, that's praying according to something. And that's what they were doing. They weren't coming together with their intercession laundry list of everything. And all those things are important. But they were coming together as a family, praying together according to what they had been taught and what they had heard. And then they were, uh, fourthly, breaking bread together. They ate together. They gave of themselves. There was stewardship together. They were stewarding their finances and their lives together. They were enjoying fellowship together and eating together. Having fellowship with one another. Fourthly, our fourth value is worship. The overflow of our experience with Christ. What is worship? Worship is the overflow of our experience with Christ. In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 through 21, it says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled 
with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. And be subject to one another out of fear in the fear of Christ. And so when you and I, Paul makes this distinction here, don't be drunk with wine. He makes a comparison of being drunk uh, on, on wine with the, the intoxication of the Holy Spirit. When you and I are filled with intoxicating, Sol Solomon said that your love, O oh God, is better than wine. When you are filled, everybody say filled. filled. When you are filled with the Holy Spirit, it has intoxicating effects on your life. It begins to... Loosen you up. <laughs> Breaks away that religious bondage. Well, I'm not going to stop and talk about drinking here, although it's a great place to stop and talk about it. But why did you want to when you've got the Holy Ghost? <laughs> That's all I'll say about that. When you have the Holy Spirit, He is. His love is intoxicating. He affects how we interact with one another. It tells you right here those effects, the effects of the Holy Spirit. When you are filled with the Spirit, you begin to speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. The love of God that's filling your heart begins to overflow in worship individually, but also corporately. There's an overflow of the worship of God corporately, so much so that you encourage one another in songs and hymns and spiritual songs, you sing to God, but you sing and encourage over one another, each, uh, each other as well. Allowing God, having that prophetic song or word for somebody. When's the last time you ask God, give me a word for somebody? I want to go to church today and give them a word. I want to encourage them. You don't have to come up here and get a microphone to give a word. You can just go to that person during worship and say, you know what? I have a word of encouragement for you today. This is what I feel like God's saying to you today and give them a word and encourage them, build them up and worship together with them. One of the, the funnest thing, one of my, the funnest things in my life that I, I enjoy when I'm, when I'm not preaching or ministering and I'm in a service and I'm able to get in the prayer line myself and have hands laid on me and prayed for, one of the best things of all times that I enjoy the most is having friends right there with me or my spouse, or my wife right there with me, one, somebody, and we're worshiping together and receiving from God together. It's the best thing in the world. You should try it. It's the best thing in the world. You get filled up and they're getting filled up. You're worshiping together and encouraging one another. It's awesome. That's what Paul's talking about here. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual song. Singing and making melody to your heart in the Lord. There's an ongoing perpetual song that ought to be in your heart. When you wake up in the morning, there's a perpetual song ringing in your, in your heart. There's a melody. There's a song. There's a rejoicing in your heart that, you, that carries you throughout the day. It may be a prophetic song that's sung on a Sunday morning that Grace just sings a, a, a few lyrics or maybe one of our regular worship songs or a hymn or whatever it is. There's a melody in your heart. If that's not happening, be filled with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> when you get filled with the Holy Spirit, Spirit, this will happen. It's not, it's not do this, do this, do this. It's simple. Yield. <laughs> it's real simple. Christianity is very simple. Yield. <laughs> Receive from God the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Always giving thanks in all things. If you're having trouble being thankful, a couple of weeks ago, we were, we, it seemed like there was continual something happening. It was just ongoing attacks. And I, I purposed in myself, I am not going to give the enemy a foothold for me to get discouraged. I need to be thankful. God, I don't feel like being thankful. Pneumonia doesn't encourage you in being thankful. But I need help being thankful. Give me something to be thankful for. Grab my iPhone. Put on the worship. Surround myself with positive, the positive influence of the Scripture and the Word of God and the promises of God and the worship. And you know what? I got thankful. Why? Because I begin to yield to the Holy Spirit. And, he, and, and when you do that, there is thanksgiving that bubbles up on the inside of you. Why? Because the Holy Spirit right now, why does this happen? Why is the spiritual songs produced? And why is there overflow? And worship isn't, let me just pause and say, worship is not just your songs and your singing on Sunday. Worship is every day of your life. Yeah. 
If you haven't caught that in what I'm saying yet, I'll make it plain that worship is every day of your life. It's the overflow of ministering to others. It's the overflow of encouraging one another. It's the overflow of sharing what God's done in your life with somebody else and, and encouraging them and comforting them and exhorting them. But man, when, you, when, when the fullness of God, why, why does the Holy Spirit, why does He operate this way? Because right now, the Holy Spirit is in heaven. The atmosphere of heaven is the Holy Spirit. And he takes and he sees. He sees and takes what he hears and sees. And the sounds of heaven and, and the intercessions of, of Jesus, our heavenly intercession. He takes those things and makes them real to us on earth. That is the job of the Holy Spirit according to Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He, he makes the realities of heaven real to us on earth. And so... Thanksgiving is produced in our life because heaven is a place of joy and thanksgiving and rejoicing and perpetual praise. So you, you can't be filled with the Spirit and not have a praise in your heart. Now you cannot yield to it and you can be grouchy and live according to your soulish man. Or you can yield to the Spirit of God and allow the reality of heaven, the song Oh yeah, there's a song of heaven right now. <laughs> there's a song going on in heaven right now. It's so easy. I mean, it's so easy to just cross. It, it's so easy just to cross over. Does it take much? Catherine Kuhlman said one time she was asked, how do you prepare for such incredible meetings? How do you prepare for the, all these healings and things that are taking place? And her response was, I live prepared. Oh, it's so easy. It's so easy when you live in the place of the fullness of the Spirit. It's so easy. Just for a moment, if you just close your eyes with me this morning. Just close your eyes with me and, and, and just indulge me for a moment. Maybe you don't want to cross over this morning, but I do. So just indulge me because I want to cross over this morning. You just cross over. You close your eyes and you begin to allow the, the sound of heaven to begin to penetrate your Lord. Oh, Holy Spirit, let, let, the, let the reality of heaven become more real. Lord, that, that we can hear, hear the sounds and step over, to cross over out of this life into the next, Lord, and see. We can see the supernatural. We can hear the greatness of heaven. Lord, we can have a melody springing up in our heart, a melody of joy, a melody of thanksgiving. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Come saturate us. Come fill us. Holy Ghost, thank you, Lord. Like we were singing this morning. Like we were seeing this morning, Holy Ghost, come fill me up from the top of my head to the toes to the soles of my feet. My toes come saturate me. Come fill me up. And fifthly, our fifth value is missional living. In other words, loving, loving others with purpose. We love others with purpose. When you begin to be filled with the supernatural power of God... When you, when you live the Acts 1-8 life, when you live this Acts 1-8 life, the overflow of this worship begins happening and you begin to love others with purpose. 1 John 4.10 says, In this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us. And He sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. It's the natural outflow. It's the natural outflow of your encounter with God. As you experience the love of God and the Holy Spirit, Romans 5, 5, sheds abroad, reveals the love of God to you in your heart. The outflow of that is finding ways to love others. Paul said, outdo one another with hospitality. You find ways. You look for ways to encourage someone, to build someone up, to love them. I was talking with Gary Libby, and he and I were, he was sharing some, uh, some business, really some business principles, and I thought, that just goes right along with what the Bible says is the natural outflow of an encounter with God. The business world tries to get the principles, but with God, it's the outflow. And he said that one of the things that they teach, I guess, in their business is that when you, when you meet someone, when you find someone, take the first 30 seconds or however long to compliment them. Well, that's a great principle. It's a good principle, and you really it, you do encourage. But man, when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, and you have the love of God, the tangible love of God in your life, that ought to be the outflow of your life every day. 
You're looking for ways to encourage people. You shouldn't have to have your pastor stand up on a, let's give you, let's give you tips on how to find ways to encourage people this week. No, it's a natural, it, it, I just poked my eye out. <laughs> Fall in love with Jesus. Fall in love with Him. Walk in the Spirit. Follow the Holy Spirit. And those things are going to be produced in your life. It's, it's, so, it's so powerful that the business world's picked up on it. It's the teaching of the Word. God, help us. Help us to be people of love. Help us to find the unlovely. Help us to find the people around us that are hurting and broken. In Luke chapter 7, we find the story of the widow of Nain. I love this passage of Scripture. I've probably uh, preached on it since we've been here. But here's this woman who's lost her husband, and her only son has just died. She's going through the funeral procession, and Jesus is on his way with his procession through town. How many of you know when you meet the procession of Jesus, things begin to change? And this woman has, was discouraged. She was sad. She was depressed. She had just lost her only, her only son. She, just, she had lost her husband previously. Life was not looking so great for her. And Jesus, the Bible says, Jesus saw her and was moved with compassion. He was moved, that moved to his bowels, his inner being was moved with compassion. Two other times we see this, when he heals the lepers and he fed the 5,000. Three times this word that's moved with compassion is used in the New Testament related to Jesus. That we ought to be people like Jesus who see the hurting to see the needs of others, these 5,000 who were hungry, who were, the Bible says, were sheep without a shepherd, Jesus said. The, this leprous man who nobody even wanted to touch, no one wanted to look at. He was the outcast. <clears throat> he was the outcast of the, of, the, of the city. And this woman who had lost everything she had, Jesus was moved with compassion. Jesus said, I didn't come for the well. I came for those who were sick. I came for those who needed a doctor. And those are the people I pray. You know, Grace, <clears throat> Wednesday night, if you, if you miss Wednesday night, you missed a great New Year's Eve celebration. We had a phenomenal time. And um, I had different staff and interns share what God had been speaking to them. And then I had uh, six points that uh, I felt like God, six things that God was going to do in 2015. But just a prophetic word, I guess you could say, for our, our church this year. And it was funny because everybody that got up and read a scripture quoted one of my points. So by the time that I got up to share my points, they had all been said, <laughs> and uh, which was just confirmation of what God was saying for our church. It was awesome. But the, one of the things that Grace had point, Pastor Grace had pointed out, and I thought it was awesome, she shared about the, the wedding feast, and they sent out the invitations, and all the people that got invitations didn't come. And so the master of the feast said, go into the highways and the byways and yeah. compel them. Bring those people in. That's yeah. what we're called to do. Yeah. I want to go find the, those that are in the highways and the byways, those that, that the world has forgotten or written off. There are people around you that you work with, people that you see in the store, people you go to school with, that the world's just written off. No, nothing good. Nothing good could come out of their life. I mean... They're just broken. They're hopeless. They're hurting. Find those and begin to love them with purpose. Begin to love them. The purpose of your love is I just want you to know the love that I've experienced. I just want you to know this love, this hope, this healing of Christ, the life of Christ. I just want you to experience. I've got something tangible in my life. There is a supernatural power. That's, that's what Heather and I have preached since we've got here. Our message has been the same. That there is something tangible. There's something powerful about the Holy Spirit that He wants to impart in your life. It's not just Heather and I that walk in this. It's not just tangible for your senior pastors. It's tangible. There's, there's a person of the Holy Spirit for every one of us. <laughs> there's a flame for your head. On the day of Pentecost, they were all filled and they all had a flame of fire. There's a fire. There's a fire for you. There's a flame for you. There's oil for you. And you begin to share that with someone else. Man, what joy that is. What joy that is to see someone born again. What joy that is to see, some, see that person who's born again. You get to baptize them in water. What joy it is to see them get baptized in the Holy Spirit. One of 
uh, just one of many testimonies. I've, I've shared this testimony before. I don't know if I've shared it here, but just one of the many testimonies of people see, seeing people baptized in the Holy Spirit. There was a lady, a pastor's wife. They were Assemblies of God pastors, pastor's wife, and she had never been baptized in the Holy Spirit. You would think just an assumption, being an Assemblies of God pastor and pastor's wife, they would have been baptized in the Holy Spirit. They had not been. I was in a meeting, and I saw them there. I knew, I knew them, but I didn't know that she had not been baptized in the Holy Spirit. We were uh, in a meeting, and I saw them come into the meeting. And so during the altar time, I walked back. People are lining up for prayer, and I walked back, and I said, the, the, the woman that had brought her was praying for the pastor's wife. And I thought, what's, you know, I wonder what's going on. So I asked her, is everything okay? Is there, you know, I'm just concerned for the, a friend. And the woman that brought her said she wants to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I'm like, oh, this is exciting. <laughs> this will be fun. So I said to her, I said, will you come with me to the front? I said, we're getting ready to pray for people. Will you come down? And so she came down to the front. And she was, she was standing right here, you know, this perspective of where we were in that church. She was standing right here, and I said, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. This is so simple. I want you to just lift your hands and say, Jesus, will you baptize me with the Holy Spirit? That's simple. We're going to ask. He wants you to be filled more than you want to be filled. I promise he wants you to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. So she put her hands up, and before she could ever get Jesus, she went, and before she could ever get the rest out of her mouth, this quiet, shy little pastor's wife, she, she was a shy, shy, shy person. She starts praying in tongues and bouncing like this as the Holy, she began to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It was an incredible moment. And I thought in that moment, wow, how, how simple and how powerful the Holy Spirit, just, just in a moment. I didn't touch her. I didn't lay hands on her. It was just in that moment. I've seen people receive this presence of God, this tangible presence of God in their life. I, in prayer lines, I've just been walking, walking through prayer lines, not even laying hands on people, just walking through and people falling out and, and God touching them and transforming their life, yeah. doing things that you and I could never do in a 30, 45-minute message, seeing God do in 30 seconds on the floor. Things that, things that we couldn't do or couldn't make happen, the Holy Spirit does in a moment of time. Oh, this love of God. Oh, yeah, there is, there is a river. <laughs> There is a river that flows from the throne of God this morning. It is the river of the Holy Spirit. It is the river of the love of God. Grace, why don't you come on back? There is a river of the love of God, this tangible presence. This, if you've ever gone out to the river, maybe you've gone to the rivers here nearby. We lived on the Mississippi, you know, in, in New Orleans. You can go out to New Orleans, and it's with the widest place of the river and you go out to the bend, the bend, the, the you know, this Crescent City is named Crescent City for a reason. It's the bend in the river. And you can see the river flow down by the French Quarter and turn and begin to, you know, go out. And I, I, I loved going out to the river because you could, you could just begin to imagine the current and the flow of that river. You begin to think about the flow of that river. If you go, go just very far out, wade out very far into that river, you're going to get washed away by the, the undercurrent or the, the swiftness of the river. It's deep. The Bible says that there is a river that's flowing from the throne of God this morning. I believe it was Lester Summerall who had this vision, and I could be wrong on that. But he had a, he had a vision of the last day church and he saw the last day church and Jesus on his throne and Jesus was partially standing like this and as he was standing the river began to flow off of him there was a river flowing and the, the river of the Holy Spirit began flowing and the more that he stood the greater the intensity of the river that was flowing and he was likening that to the last day outpouring, that there's coming a, a great revival, a great outpouring, that in this last day where there will be such a harvest of souls, but yet an increase of martyrs. We see Jesus stood at the, at the martyrdom of Stephen. It's one place in Scripture where we see Jesus standing. The reason Jesus stood in this vision was because of the, the increased martyrs, but at the same time there was 
increased persecution, but there at the same time, there is an increase of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. There is a river. There is a river that flows through the city of God that makes glad, makes glad the city of our God, that makes glad the people. It's the love of heaven. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Our message never changes. We're people of discipleship. We're people who have supernatural fellowship, supernatural community. We're people of worship, the overflow of our encounter with Christ. And we're people who live missionally to love others. We live with the mission to love others. That is, that is Pentecost. This is Pentecostal Christianity. These are our guideposts. These are the, the, the direction. These are the training wheels, if you will for, will, for our church that keeps us on target. This is, this is what we value. Next week, we're going to talk about our, our vision, where we're headed as a church. But, but this is, who are we? What are we? Are a Pentecostal church full, full of Holy Ghost power. 